Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for being part of my community, because this show is really here to support you in expanding your consciousness and healing and tapping into the true potential that you have. And every week I have inspiring guests that are sharing their wisdom, their experience, their love to support all of us on our healing journey. And now more than ever, we really want to be connecting to the true power that we have within us because that is our guide through times of uncertainty, through operating with unknown circumstances. We need to Stay connected to the true inner guide. So thank you for joining me and thank you for being part of this wonderful ongoing and growing community. If you are listening for the first time, please go to my Facebook page, which is Cheryl Selman, because I post all of the archive podcast there, or you can go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and I will send those archive shows to you. And of course, I have other great information, educational material, and just things that uplift and inspire that I share on a daily basis. So hope you'll be joining me and staying tuned and coming back week after week because so much to learn. There's so much to learn. And And speaking of so much to learn, I am so thrilled to have as my guest today, Chris Killen. We're going to be talking about his new book and his amazing life experience. And we're exploring cannabis, consciousness, and yoga practice, which is the name of Chris Killen's latest book. Actually, the latest book is The Lotus and the Bud, Cannabis, Consciousness, and Yoga Practice. And just let me share a little bit about Chris. He is a medicine hunter author, educator, and TV personality who has conducted medicinal plant research in over 45 countries and lectures worldwide about holistic wellness and botanical medicine. As a speaker and guest expert on TV in the United States and international markets, he advocates for traditional botanical medicines, including psychoactive and psychedelic plant medicines such as cannabis. Chris has been featured in the New York Times, Outside Magazine, Psychology Today, Playboy, LA Weekly, and Newsweek, and appeared on CNN, NBC Nightly News, The Dr. Oz Show, ABC Good Morning America, ABC Nightline, ABC 2020, and many other top-tier media venues. He has written 15 books, and his latest book, which we talked about, is The Lotus and the Bud, Cannabis, consciousness and yoga practice. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Chris today. So welcome, Chris, to The Love Code. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. It's a real pleasure to be on with you. I appreciate it very much, and I am very happy that uh, you're doing this work, getting you know good information and good people and good advice out to the world and helping to spread a positive message. That's that's it. That's what my purpose is, as as it is true for you and so many other people right now. We're really doing our best to help share the light. And, you know, Chris, if, if, if I had a fantasy of my ideal profession, it would be your, your life. <laughs> you know, I love what you're doing. I love the adventure. I love how you're educating and going into 
these traditional cultures for you know, 45 years and bringing back their wisdom and their medicine and, you know, their, their unique view of the world. I, I, I personally am very drawn to working with traditional cultures. I've done it a little bit, you know, I've lived in Australia and I'm here now and I've gone bush with some Aboriginal elders and I've lived in uh, South India on a, on a community, <laughs> you know, without electricity. I lived in a mud hut. And so I've had a, a few of those experiences, but uh, nothing like what you have gone through. But it's 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 just such a beautiful gift to be able to learn from other cultures. Well, I, I think it is. And, and also, I, um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, not really any need for comparison. I mean, one thing I've learned over the years is that when people travel the world, you know, whether they do it a lot or a little bit, if, if they're open minded and they get out there and meet new people, and especially if they go beyond their comfort zones, um, then it becomes a, a really rich, rewarding experience, you know, for them. I mean, my experiences are mine, you know, yours are yours. And I think that it, in general, it engenders a, a greater sense of humanity in us for having this exposure. And, and I think that's the most valuable and precious thing of all. I agree. I have a fantasy that every student before they go into college, they should be sent out into the world and experience another culture and just travel because it's the best education. And through those travel experiences, we've realized we're all the same and we're all connected and we all have our own unique gifts. And I know that was one of the, the, the treasures I've learned from all my years of traveling to different parts of the world. Sure, sure, no doubt. So, so let's talk about your latest book, um, what was the impetus to begin with of of writing about the subject of um, cannabis consciousness and yoga practice? Well, um, I mean, a little bit of history. I uh, first got turned on to cannabis about, uh, oh, 54 years ago now and uh, started a daily yoga practice and meditation practice around 51 years ago. And uh, I, you know, early on in my practice, I was meditating and practicing yoga and, and still smoking cannabis. And, and then for a time, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't for a few years. But I had some experiences, um, especially eventually some experiences in the Indian Himalayas that really uh, opened me up to the fusion between the two. And and, you know, um, I have taught a few thousand yoga classes, and, and it was very typical and common uh, to go to, let's say, a, a large yoga conference and teach during the day and then get together with yoga teachers in the evening and share some cannabis and then go out to eat. And uh, there was always this separation between the, the yoga classes and what we chose to do with each other with cannabis later, which is fine, which is good. But um, over time, more and more people have become interested in the fusion of these two, which actually goes back thousands of years. Uh, the, the god Shiva, who 
is uh, considered to be the originator of yoga, is also considered to be the being that bestowed cannabis or ganja on humanity. So there's been this long tradition um, in different parts of the East, in China and Nepal and Tibet and India and uh, Southeast Asia, of a fusion between yoga practices of different kinds and the utilization of cannabis. So, you know, I really, I like to write books that are in some way or another more definitive than the other books on whatever topic I'm writing. And I, and I like to dive a little bit more deeply into information. And um, I thought, gee, you know, the, the Lotus and the Bud, this would be a, a really great one to do, to since since so many people are now experimenting with this, why not talk about, you know, the history of all of this, uh, what the practice really means, how to go about it in a way that benefits you and all of that. And, and so that was really the impetus was a long personal journey with this. And um, part, partly because this is what's happening during this particular time that we're in. Well, it's a fascinating subject to dive into, and, and I, I'd love you to talk more about the historical perspective and the um, connection with um, the Hindu tradition, the Indian tradition of using cannabis, which is known as ganja. I mean, when I lived in India, um, it was known that that was used by various people for either religious purposes or recreational purposes. But I, I never really understood the connection with uh, the Hindu god Shiva and the spiritual, um, the spiritual understanding and recognition of what this plant has to offer. So can we can we start there? Kind of dive into that subject. Well, sure. I mean, in in very early Aryan texts, Ganja is referred to as Vijaya, which is victory, you know, victory over ignorance of mind in, in this instance. And um, there has always been in the East, a, you know, at least among some people, a reverential sense about cannabis. And when you travel, um, you know, I've traveled around, uh, you know, a good deal of the Indian Himalaya, especially the Kumaon region, and gone to many, many, many old Shiva temples. And there will always be a depiction of cannabis someplace. Usually there's a large cannabis plant growing in front of the temple. And it's typical and common to be given some as a communion, you know, communion with Shiva. And, um, you know, there are groups of people, for example, I'm, I'm sure you saw them aplenty in India, sadhus who are wandering ascetics. And, um, you know, they practice austerities of different kinds and, and they meditate and they are uh, very, very well known for their utilization of cannabis as part of this particular life. And, you know, I've been to different ashrams and other places in India and, and, and outside of India as well, uh, where the two have been, you know, both widely available at the same time. And I think that the, um, you know, the, the euphoriant properties of cannabis lend themselves well 
uh, to to yoga practice. And and I am not one of these people who thinks that you know you should only have a cannabis based yoga practice. I I actually recommend in in my book that people you know get a lot of yoga and meditation under their belt without the aid of cannabis. Um, but but it has been a kind of a twin current, if you will, dating back uh, at least a couple of thousand years to, um, you know, in some cultures, like in, in ancient China, there was some uh, utilization of cannabis to commune with the dead. Uh, you know, we know that cannabis has been utilized in different ceremonies from Jerusalem to Cairo to uh you know, uh, the Himalayan hills in antiquity. So there is, in fact, a long tradition of utilizing cannabis uh, in conjunction with some spiritual pursuit, some yogic, uh, you know, pursuit of some kind. And this is cross-cultural throughout much of Asia. So let's talk about this plant. I know that as an ethnobotanist, you really delve into so many of the medicinal properties. And we need to say that um, in the history of cannabis in this country, that it was demonized, it was politicized, and, you know, it became illegal. But before all this craziness happened in the States, and like you said, for thousands of years, this plant has been used to help heal, to um, expand consciousness. It, it's revered, and it has many gifts. So so let's explore that side. I, I really want people to appreciate and understand this medicine, and especially now that it has become legalized in most states, in the United States anyway, not quite yet in Australia. Uh, we we really want to honor this, this plant medicine and uh, be able to utilize it for the many gifts that it has to offer us. Well, the, you know, the, the, um, the benefits of cannabis are related to something that we've actually remarkably learned about rather recently. I mean, the medicinal utilization of cannabis goes way back to antiquity, to early China, early India, early Southeast Asia, um, where natural doctors uh, found that it was good for, you know, a laying headache, uh, for refreshing the spirit, uh, for relaxation, for, you know, for many, many different things, for digestive complaints. Um, and, and so cannabis has a long history as a medicine. Um, we, we know that uh, one of the largest studies ever done on cannabis in the late 1800s showed that it was a first-class pain reliever, and that of course, has been uh, corroborated by many modern scientific studies. But here's the kind of big wahoo about all of this. Um, We have within us a relatively newly discovered system uh, called the endocannabinoid system. And basically, this is thousands and thousands of receptors throughout our entire bodies that require cannabinoids in order to function. Um, And our bodies produce two different cannabinoids naturally 
from the dietary oils that we consume. But many people don't uh, produce enough, or maybe the dietary oils that people eat are the wrong ones, so they don't really get what they need to nourish the body. The long and short of it is that cannabis supplements what our body makes uh, to satisfy these receptors, and this whole system within us is a harmonizing system. And, and, and I don't mean that to sound vague or mystical because it's not. Um, you know, you've got your cardiovascular system, your respiratory system, your renal system, your, you know, on and on and on. And they all have to function together. And what keeps them in relative harmony is the endocannabinoid system. So basically, um, when you take in cannabinoids, it satisfies many tens of thousands of, or, or hundreds of thousands of receptors in the brain and the central nervous system. And it helps, helps with immune function, with stress reduction, sleep quality. And all of these things, um, in addition to being health benefits on their own, play very well into um, being in more improved or more harmonized condition with yoga practice. So, um, so the health benefits are really there. I mean, we know, for example, that with people who are on chemotherapy, uh, people have nauseous wasting syndromes of different kinds, that if they consume a bit of cannabis, they can eat and they can keep on some weight, which is important for, for people to do, you know, when they really have lost their appetite. We know that cannabis is very helpful for glaucoma, which is, you know, an, an unhealthy pressure in the eye that causes blindness. Uh, we know that cannabis helps with seizure conditions, and that's why we have cannabis-derived medicines specifically for pediatric epilepsy, um, and, and on and on. So, you know, I, I mean, the most for the most part, it is fair to say that People utilize cannabis to get high, and what that means, you know, does in fact vary from person to person. For some, it's, you know, kind of a, an energizing experience, and, you know, they like to do repetitive tasks or, or whatever during that time. For others, it's much more of a relaxation experience, you know, just kind of maybe bringing the pressure down from a long day, but all of these things uh, for people are, in fact, medicinal benefits. You know, they help us in some ways to better get through life and feel better doing so. What I found really fascinating about um, cannabis is that it, uh, it, it has this relationship with the endocannabinoid system. So the endocannabinoid system, as you mentioned, has huge implications. It's been relatively recently discovered, funny enough, as this, this critical system of our body, but it's only, I think, the 1990s that... Um, yeah, yeah. Is it Raphael yeah. Meshelem? And amazing, yeah. right? So this is this overriding system that, that has a, a, an effect and, and a communication with all the other systems of our body, and there are... Right. Um, molecules that actually enhance and activate this endocannabinoid system and, and the, the um, other organ systems of the body that it relates to. And um, 
and that and that's what plants are are here to help us do is to optimize this endocannabinoid system, which then translates into all the conditions you mentioned. And marijuana or cannabis has these compounds. It's been a medicine for thousands of years, and um, and you know, we just really need to appreciate that this is a powerful gift from nature. Well, it is a powerful gift from nature, and and in terms of utilizing the plant, um, cannabis is either the most broadly useful or one of the top two or three most broadly useful plants in the entire world, you know. Um, I mean, it has its psychoactive properties. It has its health-restoring benefits. Uh, it is, uh, you know, phenomenal for the production of fiber, and uh, and that has you know, endless uses in terms of cloth of all different kinds and cordage. And um, really, you know, I I agree with what you said earlier that uh, this is a plant that has been demonized terribly and for no good reason. Um, You know, it is not, I mean, many years ago, what I think it was uh, 1997 or perhaps it was even 87, the World Health Organization commissioned a study on the relative safety or hazards of um, alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis. And the study uh, concluded that, you know, alcohol and tobacco were, in fact, (laughs) quite dangerous and that cannabis was quite benign. And it was such a definitive conclusion, and, and only one of many studies that has shown this, that actually American drug policy agencies forced WHO to suppress this, you know. So there's been this whole politicization of cannabis, and that's really unfortunate because it is, you know, largely very safe. I mean, consider that we don't know of one single death in all of human history associated with the use of cannabis, not one. I mean, you'd think there'd be at least a few, but no, we know of absolutely none. So it's a very safe plant. And I want to talk about the relationship between plant medicine and consciousness in our Western cultures, for sure. Um, you know, we we deal with stress and we deal with discomfort with alcohol and tobacco and and food and sex i mean there's so many things that can numb us um which you know are are allowed and acceptable but in actual fact there have been um cultures throughout time that have been able to use this plant medicine for the expansion of consciousness for a greater connection i i know i was listening to a, an interview with uh, Graham Hancock, uh, who's explored all this, and um, it was so yeah. fascinating because he has his evidence that there are ancient cultures throughout the world that have used plant medicines like cannabis, um, mushrooms, the ayahuasca, as ways to create a more profound spiritual connection, awareness, uh, which of course permeated then into their view of the world and and a more spiritual connection to all of life and and I you know I'd like us to explore that because uh, 
this is a time where we want to work with the gifts that nature has given us and not just see cannabis as a recreational uh, you know, met a plant, but actually it has a, a greater purpose for us, especially at this time. Well, you, you know, um, I, I work with plants of all different types all over the world. And um, what I find is that there are plants, you know, psychoactive plants, certainly the plants that are used to make ayahuasca, cannabis, um, and, you know, the mushrooms, which are, of course, are, are fungi, but a lot of people sort of lump them in with plants, you know, things like iboga, for example, and peyote and San Pedro, which are all visionary agents. And people turn to these things for um, healing the mind, for healing the soul, for ridding trauma that they really can't get rid of in other ways. And that is uh, an enduring use that goes back into antiquity and various uh, spiritual practices. I mean, before the show, we were talking about the Shipibo native people and their utilization of ayahuasca, the Amazonian uh, psychedelic potion that is um, you know, called la medicina, the medicine. Um, you know, it can be utilized for visionary purposes to gain insight into circumstances, which is a common use among Native people. And it is also used to heal. And we see that with uh, people who go to the Native American peyote church, people who uh, engage, you know, in different types of, of ceremonial uses of psychoactive plants. But beyond that, um, there are an additional 50,000 or so plants used around the world for medicinal purposes for anything from allaying fever to uh, reducing inflammation to detoxifying the bowels, etc. And our inclination as uh, people living in, a, in the West is to assume, not completely incorrectly so, that it's the chemistry of these plants. It's the menthol and the peppermint that's opening up the bronchi. It's the, you know, it's the polyphenol catechins and the green tea that are defending against certain types of cancer. It's the uh, gomasins and schizandra berry that impart endurance. Um, and, and all that is also so but when you go into native communities, um, people who haven't lost their cultural heritage, and many have, um, there's constant reference to plant spirit, to this notion, this persistent notion that plants contain innate intelligence, that there is a spirit that you can actually tap into, and that it is the spirit of the plants that is really doing the healing. Um, you know, in, in more modern times, we saw that amplified with the Bach flower remedies, uh, Dr. Edward Bach in Britain, who basically determined, at least to his satisfaction, that the certain plants that he used to make remedies had spirits that helped people to heal um, spiritually, psychically, emotionally, physically, uh, in, in a sort of a cascade. So, the, the plant spirit idea is something that is persistent all around the world through native cultures. And 
we in our more modern times have, have lost a very good understanding of that. Yeah, and that's why the fact that we um, are appreciating these plants. And, you know, there are places that are now legalizing. Of course, cannabis is legalized in most states. Um, psilocybin, the the mushroom or fungus, is being being legalized um, in many states. I, I think there's this um, emerging consciousness that, fortunately, our culture is allowing <laughs> to occur that. Uh, is is returning. It's allowing us to return to these helpers, these guides, these gifts that are supporting us in alleviating our traumas, alleviating our physical diseases, eliminating our limited consciousness, so we can really uh, expand and and operate from a new level of health and awareness. Well, at the very least, it is the case that people are uh, great, in many instances, greatly disillusioned by the health options that they've previously encountered. You know, veterans who uh, come back from wars and need help who get put on antidepressants that don't work, uh, get put on anti-anxiety drugs that don't work. And we see more and more attention now being paid to People with uh, various types of trauma, you know, battle-induced PTSD and, and, and other forms of trauma who, in fact, as you were describing, do get relief from the psychedelics. In, in the Johns Hopkins University Medical Center study of terminal stage 4 cancer patients who were given psilocybin, one of the big outcomes, well, there were two really big outcomes. Uh, one was that the greatest majority of people in the study felt that that experience was either the single most spiritually rich or one of the most spiritually rich experiences of their lives. And secondly, the majority of the people, uh, these cancer patients who were dying, um, lost their fear of death. So when you think about compassionate medicine, when you think about a group of people who are traumatized because the end is coming and there is no stopping it, um, to give them something that not only is spiritually enriching, but also uh, enables them to lose their fear and apprehension of the end of life, that's really quite extraordinary. And we don't have anything... um, in the regular pharmaceutical armamentarium uh, that that approaches these things. We just don't. So um, more and more people are being drawn to peyote and to iboga and to ayahuasca and the mushrooms because there they are finding what they haven't found anywhere else. And isn't that a beautiful gift? You know, one of the great mysteries in our culture, for sure, is the mystery of death. And it creates a lot of fear. I think just looking at what's happening with our COVID world, what are people terrified of the most about this, uh, this you know, virus thing is that it's going to kill them, right? We're so terrified of this process that humanity and all life has 
done forever, <laughs> you know, and yet we are still as ignorant as ever about what is going on and what this process is about. So be, to be able to, to use these medicines to help us get beyond fears and to understand this transformational time and to, to welcome it and to be um, filled with love and, and peace uh, what a gift, you know, it's the most profound gift we could be given at the end of this life's journey. Yeah, you know, um, Ram Dass uh, had, had a beautiful quote about LSD, which I kind of considered grandfathered into the whole category, you know, but um, he he was talking about the fact that, you know, I mean, as I, I'm sure you know, you know, uh, for many years he was in a wheelchair as a result of a stroke. And he said, how amazing it is that I can be in a wheelchair and confined in this way with my life disrupted from, you know, when I was previously free to move about and yet be filled with nothing but joy and gratitude. That's the remarkable thing about LSD. And he was basically expressing something that I think really does apply across this range of uh you know, profoundly beneficial visionary medicines. Um, many, you know, uh, in in um, one alcoholism study uh, using LSD many years ago, researchers found <clears throat> that the people who uh, had the greatest chance of keeping off of alcohol after going through uh, LSD-assisted therapy were those people who had a profound mystical experience, that if they had the experience of the complete oneness with all things, uh, with being completely saturated with the divine and suffused with light, that they were much more likely than the people who didn't have that experience to remain free of that alcohol addiction. So, you know, we really, I, I think we are in the era of mystic medicines in that regard. Yeah, you know, um it's it's exciting, right? It's because we're 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 able to get more access than we ever have before and it's um becoming more available. And uh, we're we're dispelling this, you know, the bad PR has <laughs> gone on around these medicines and and appreciating that they have gifts to give us. You know, um I'm fascinated by the research that's being done about the consciousness of plants and that these yeah. are beings that, you know, have have a consciousness. And, you know, I was just uh, reading something, and I, I want to share it because it's, it to me, is so awesome. <laughs> so, so this is research done uh, on plants. And when a plant was put in a Faraday tube and a telescope was pointed to the big Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, is that the Big Dipper? Um, so the star system it, it hooked up to an instrument that converted plant consciousness expressions into audible tones. It was demonstrated that the plant was communicating with something in that star system, most likely something in the plant kingdom. And that's think about that. That's like when they <laughs> these plants are communicating, they're communicating with other entities with star systems they're being given information and sharing information these are plants <laughs> you know? well, well, uh, you well know, yes. it gives you a whole different perspective <laughs> 
Well, you know, I uh, when when I first went to the Amazon uh, decades ago, I I was going around meeting different shamans, and um, I met a woman early on. This woman named Edna, and she um, she was very happy to see me. She lived in this kind of remote place in the Amazon in Brazil, and um, she sat me down and she went to the back of her house and she came back with a little plant, just a tiny little plant that she had plucked. And it was probably, I don't know, four inches altogether from the roots to the top leaves, a little thing. And she started touching me all over with this and doing a little chant. And when she was done doing that, she looked at me and she told me about a bad situation that I had in my work life with a couple of people that she couldn't have known anything about. She'd never met me before. There was no introduction to what I did. You know, there was none of that. And I said to her, how do you know this, Edna? And she laughed and she said, I don't know this. Don't you see this plant has the roots on it? So I touch you with the roots. And then that information goes here, she said, pointing to her heart. And she said, and then it goes here, pointing to her brain. And she says, then I tell you, now you understand? And, I, of course, I said, oh, yes, yes. You know, now it's clear to me. But, but the, the, the point was that that, um, that was the first of just dozens and dozens of shamans I, I met subsequently who all basically said the same thing. And I think where we get tripped up um, is imagining wow. that the intelligence or the consciousness of plants is somehow like the intelligence or consciousness of people, which it is not. It's very different, but we can tap into it nonetheless and tap into that life force and the organizing patterns in that life force that can have positive influence on our health and our well-being. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. Um, I, I recently interviewed um, this lovely guy who uh, had suffered from Lyme, um, and it almost he almost died from from his Lyme disease, and he was in the hospital and um, in a critical state, and he just surrendered and he said, "All I could do was breathe and and focus on my heart." And then he got this amazing image. And he uh, saw this huge, huge oak tree that just went up into the sky. And on it, he saw these um, different uh, mushrooms growing on, on the uh, bark of the tree. He's a, he was a um, field biologist, so he recognized them as reishi, uh, turkey tail, and uh, what was the last one? Chaga. And he... Okay. Um, he saw it as a as a message, right, from nature, from his from his consciousness and connecting with nature. And he then investigated taking those mushrooms, and they became instrumental in helping him to recover. Right. So, right. so that I, I I think of that story because when we look at medicines like ayahuasca, which is a brew made from two different plants in the Amazon rainforest, which has God knows how many millions of species, and they don't grow together. How did that happen? It was always a question that I had. How was this even discovered? And then, you know, listening to this this story um, about getting the vision that these plants can 
be speaking to us and communicating and guiding us so we can benefit. Uh, it's a fascinating thought. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, I've been around just way too many shamans who tell me that they get information uh, from plants not to, uh, you know, accept it. Um, I, again, I think the, the, uh, the thing is that many people immediately go to a place in their imagination where they assume that the communication, for example, is similar to how we're communicating now. Um, that's not what goes on. But, you know, many uh, shamans have talked about seeing plants glow in the dark and pointing themselves out to them, um, that plants convey somehow that they're the right one or it's the right time to utilize them. And, and with regard to ayahuasca, with the utilization of a vine, excuse me, Banisteriopsis coffee, and a leaf, uh, Chacruna or Psychotria viridis, which the two are, are not, you know, at all in the same family. They don't necessarily grow near each other. Um, you're talking about an environment in which there are 80 to 100,000 different plants about 10,000 of which are vines. So to, to find the right vine and find the right leaf and put them together and cook them down and concentrate them and take that, um, that could never have been accomplished by trial and error. It could not have been accomplished by looking at the vine and saying, oh, this one looks like it's psychoactive. They all look like they're psychoactive. Um, or looking at the leaves of Chacruna and saying, oh, this will be special when those leaves look like the leaves of thousands of other plants. Um, I, I do accept the shaman's explanation that the plants told them. I just think that the telling is not, you know, hey, over here, you know, that it's something else, <laughs> that it's, it's some, you know, I mean, I, I, I grow cannabis here because we can, and um, when I go out and tend my plants, I feel this energetic flow back and forth between them. And, I, yeah, I talk to them, you know, say, hey, oh, look, let me get this stuff off your leaves here or whatever. You know, um, they don't talk back that way, uh, but I get this energetic flow from them um, that, you know, has certain positive qualities to it. And, and I think that shamans who train, people who go very deeply into um, plant spirit uh, wind up having these types of communications with plants and, and understanding something about the nature of them that goes beyond the chemistry. I find that so exciting. That just really yeah. uh, lights me up. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so profound what we're um, talking about and what we're, you know, discovering. So I, I want to ask you, uh, Chris, in your new book, The Lotus and the Bud, uh, subtitled Cannabis Consciousness in Yoga Practice, what is some? Of, what are some of the key messages that you want to communicate by writing this book? Well, first of all, I, I am an ardently devoted practitioner of yoga and have been for a long time. And I always appreciate the opportunity to present the benefits of yoga 
um, not only in, in terms of, you know, our overall health, but also um, really in terms of, of spiritual attainment of getting a greater sense of the interconnectedness of all things. And um, I do believe that the utilization of cannabis with yoga practice can be a powerful ally. It can help people, you know, a lot of people, for example, find uh, that it's difficult to meditate, and it may be that a little bit of a cannabis boost gives them an extra elevated and spacious sense, and that allows them to ease more deeply into meditation. So I wanted to make this accessible, and what I try to do in my books, whether it's Kava, Medicine Hunting in Paradise, or the Ayahuasca Test Pilot's Handbook, or my best-selling yoga book, The Five Tibetans, I try to make this stuff easy and clear. I don't believe in mumbo-jumbo. I don't believe in creating a mystic fog. I don't like any of that stuff. And so part of, part of the effort with this book is to really um, give people a, a clear and hopefully in-depth understanding of yoga and cannabis and how they come together and also a, a significant focus on the human energy system. I mean, we have at any time a few million volts of energy within us active at all times. And um, with yoga, with meditation, we can tap into that energy. We can become more aware of that energy. We can learn to amplify that energy and direct it. And that's something that I, uh, I know from personal experience is sometimes made easier by blending cannabis and yoga together. So really, I, you know, I wanted to make a, an additional contribution to the field of yoga more than I wanted to make a contribution to the field of cannabis, although that too, um, because I, I just know that the more, um, the more ways you can give people to practice, uh, the more ends they have. You know, not everybody's going to do a an exhausting, highly gymnastic training that, you know, has them bending back and basically, you know, touching their heels with their noses. Um, that's for an elite few. You know, I really like to make knowledge as accessible and understandable and hopefully a bit entertaining as possible. So those are some of the, the reasons that I really set about to do this at all. Well, sounds like a very noble cause, Chris, so we can appreciate much more of how to, how to, how to deepen that connection that yoga was designed to do to bring us into greater balance and harmony. I have a question. There are many forms of taking cannabis these days. So you can um, you can smoke it, you can ingest it, and it seems that different ways have different um, expressions. You know, it affects us in different ways. What would you recommend to people who are open to explore the use of cannabis to help deepen their connection and bring it into the yoga practice what form would would you recommend well i'm i uh, recommend a number of forms i mean uh you know 
conservative bit of smoking it is fine. Uh, vaping cannabis, I'm not talking about using the oils or things, but just vaping a whole leaf, your whole bud, you know, that's fine. Um, I, I really like cannabis confections and beverages and, um, you know, for, oh gosh, maybe a year or so, um, I would make a, um, a chai that had some hashish in it and do that uh, in conjunction with practice. I, I think that people can experiment and discover what works well for them. You know, the idea, as I express in the book, is is not to get wasted. You know, I don't think that dabbing some of the some of the uh, really intense ways of consuming cannabis really fit with yoga practice. But um, edibles, tinctures, um, a little bit of smoking, vaporizing, they all work. It's it's finding something that you're comfortable with that suits your lifestyle and that also, you know, when you really just pay attention, gives you some benefits in your practice instead of being a distraction or um, just not the right thing. And just getting a little bit more specific, too, there, there are different types of cannabis. If you go to a dispensary, you'll find what indica and sativa, these are names that are used. So for someone who's a novice and wants to explore this, what what type do you recommend? What's, you know, what, what variety, what species or whatever, well, whatever the correct term well, is? Well, well, first of all, you're exactly correct that you go into a dispensary and you see sativas and indicas, except for the, the stone-cold, sober, botanical fact that there's no such thing as indica. Um, but it's a persistent myth. Yeah, and um, Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it, it is all cannabis sativa, you know, whether it is psychoactive cannabis or whether it is non-psychoactive hemp. It's cannabis sativa. And, um, but there are differences from one cannabis to another, a variety. I, I, I like to use the um, comparison of apples for a moment. You know, you've got a, a red delicious apple. It's red and sweet or a Fuji apple. It has kind of a mottled color and it's sweet or a Granny Smith that is green and tart. They're all apples. And the trick is to find what apple or apples you like the best. And with cannabis, um, the ratio of the cannabinoids, that is the psychoactive constituents in cannabis, and the terpenes, which are the things that give the particular characteristic aromas and fragrances, you know, of cannabis, um, these can vary greatly, and that may make the difference between something that gives you a bright and lively experience, which is what I prefer, to something that gives you a more sedative, uh, you know, kind of like uh, deflating experience. So I recommend that if people know nothing about this, then they read up a little bit on what, let's say, what are the more kind of uplifting strains. And I would also uh, suggest, you know, trying those, uh, like go if you go into a dispensary, one of the good things is that many of the people, if you say, look, I'm, you know, would like something that, um, I, you know, is kind of bright and, and, 
clear and I'm not really interested in being plowed into the couch, they'll know what they have that sort of fits that bill. And then you experiment and you find what works for you. Um, there is a tendency out there to imagine that the greater concentration of THC you have, you know, 20, 25%, that somehow that makes a better cannabis or a better cannabis experience, and it does not. Um, it may just be too darn strong. Um, so, you know, uh, I mean, I've uh, had good experience with cannabis in the Himalayas, and I'm pretty sure that the actual THC value of that cannabis that they grow there and that they make hash out of, you know, it's probably in the teens or so, but it's not outrageous. It's really a matter of finding something that when you consume it, you go, oh, that feels exactly right. That's what I was hoping to find. Um, so it may take a little reading, a little bit of advice from somebody in a dispensary, but um, look for something that's bright and lively. I think that'll suit your practice best. And what about people who just choose to do the hemp extract? Do you see hemp extract, which also has an ability to calm and has sedative properties and, um, of course, helps with pain. So that's another option, I would imagine, as well, without the psychoactive component. Yes, yes. You know, um, uh, CBD-rich hemp oil, uh, which also will have, a, you know, an additional hundred other naturally occurring cannabinoids and, and you know, flavanols and terpenes, um, uh, does impart a calming effect. And you're right, many people don't want to get high. That's not what they're in for, but they would like something that will help to ease or sort of slide them into practice. And that's a good option. Um, there's no question. I'm not a big fan of the so-called CBD isolates, the super concentrated things that are really, you know, isolated CBD that then maybe has been mixed up in some oil. I don't favor that. But the the whole, um, you know, hemp oil that also has CBD in it, I think it's a very, very good choice. Great. Well, we, we only have a couple of minutes left. Is there something you want to leave us with, some parting thought that you would like to share with us? Yes. You know, we, we have, um, I mean, we're marvelously put together. We, you know, we have these bodies that are extraordinary. Um, you know, we have remarkable sensory acuity. There has never been built any machine that approximates the sophistication or the capabilities of the human body uh, and the human mind. And um, I personally favor yoga and meditation as a consistent parts of lifestyle because I think that they help people to, to lead a happier, healthier, more balanced life. And um, in writing The Lotus in the Bud, I really did so because I know that for many people, this will give a valuable assist that will help a great many more people to ease into yoga practice. And that's really the thing, you know, can we, can we do things for ourselves, whether it's 
drinking fresh, pure, clean water or walking in a refreshing forest or breathing good air, you know, eating healthy, organic foods. Uh, these, are nat these are parts of, of leading a naturally healthy life. And I believe that yoga and uh, cannabis, you know, judiciously employed, fit very well into that overall healthy life. And I wish that for people. Well, that's beautiful, and I encourage people to um, check out your website, which is medicinehunter.com, and they can learn more about you and all of the books you've written, and of course, your new book, The Lotus in the Bud, Cannabis, Consciousness, and Yoga Practice. You're always such an inspiration, Chris. I love the work you're doing and how you are helping us to reconnect with this ancient wisdom from nature and um, and all that you have been sharing with us. So thanks for your wisdom today and spending time with us. It's really been a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. The pleasure's all mine. You take really good care, and please do keep up this good work because it is wonderful work. Thank you. That's, that's the plan. <laughs> so, um, so uh, again, had a wonderful conversation with Chris Gillum, author of The Lotus and the Bud, Cannabis, Consciousness, and Yoga, and check out his website, medicinehunter.com, and hope you'll be joining me next week on The Love Code. Until then, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. <laughs>